Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Greetings, fellow Fourians, and welcome to another episode of Investigating the Impossible with Tobias and Emily. As always, I'm Emily. And I'm still Tobias. <laughs> That's good. Mm. And today we have a guest that we've had on before. Um, she's a pretty good friend of ours. We've been following each other on social media for a while. Amanda Woomer of Spooky. So welcome back to the show, Amanda. Thank you so much for having me back. Yeah, we're happy to have you. Um, and you've been up to a lot since we talked to you, because last time you had just put out... Um, the Atlas, yes. The Atlas of Western New York. And then you... <laughs> I was going to say, yes, a lot has happened since then. <laughs> yeah. Yes, quite a bit. Because I think we talked to you and you were still working on a couple other books and you've been up to a lot this last year. But before we kind of get talking about all that, um, there, there we have some new members that might have not listened to the la- episode from last year yet. So um, if you don't mind, would you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into this? Sure. So my name's Amanda and I am stationed in Buffalo, New York. And I am the owner and the website of the website Spook Eats. Um, and basically, Spook Eats is a travel website. Um, now we've kind of branched out into books, um, but we basically travel the country when there's not a pandemic happening, obviously. <laughs> um, so business has been slow, um, but um, we travel the country where we visit haunted restaurants, bars, and hotels. We try the food, we review the food, we share some of the ghost stories. Um, so it's kind of like a a spooky travel guide for lack of a better term I guess um I think it works yeah right (laughs) um I've gotten some negative reviews because they're like oh all this is is a yellow pages of haunted locations and I'm like yeah guys welcome (laughs) literally says that on the cover not sure why you were confused glad you got it right look at the word atlas um but um the main reason why I wanted to um, really focus more so on haunted hospitality was um, basically in 2015, my younger brother, Jed, he passed away from pediatric cancer. And, you know, some people, like, they turn to their religion or they turn to alcohol. Um, to cope with my grief, I turned to the paranormal. Um, and I really started researching it and investigating it. And I found that a lot of these haunted locations that are really familiar and well-known to people and infamous, um, they're really difficult to access if you're an average everyday person like myself and like so many others. And so that got me thinking, you know, why is the paranormal really only reserved for people who are on teams or um, on television? So I turned to haunted hospitality. The restaurants and the hotels and the bars, these places have just as much history as the haunted places that you see on TV, but they're already open and they want you to come and visit them. So, you know, for the price of an appetizer or maybe a room to spend the night, um, you could potentially have a paranormal experience and be able to have your own paranormal adventure. You know, again, for me, when I was looking for those answers after my brother passed away, the only thing that brought me any sort of solace was the paranormal. And I know other people out there have lost loved ones, and they are Mm -hmm. also searching for those sorts of answers. So um, my hope with Spook Eats is basically to bring the paranormal to the masses and kind of highlight those locations that are ready and waiting for you to come and visit them and kind of come to your own conclusions about the paranormal. 
That's awesome. Um, we're obviously big fans of the website. So obviously, you know, you mentioned the pandemic before. So here's our segue. Um, how did you pivot in terms of what you do this past year? So it was tough. At first, I was kind of just sitting there dumbfounded. I had really just started getting spookies off the ground. I had, you know, various conventions booked and book signings and library talks. And I was so ready to explore that part of spookies. And obviously those all came to a screeching halt about a year ago now. Um, so that's when I really turned firstly to writing books. Um, the first book that I released in the pandemic um, was America's Haunted Breweries, Distilleries, and Wineries. And I was actually able to work with each of the establishments highlighted in that book um, to kind of really highlight them and be able to advertise for them, for lack of a better word. Um, and so even though I wasn't able to physically visit these locations, the, you know, the owners and the employees were so gracious with helping me um, with the research and with photography and everything. Um, so I really focused on writing books. Um, that was one way that I found that I could still, you know, do my research and you know, explore the paranormal without actually leaving. So for, I guess for a while I was more of an armchair researcher than actually being out there. Um, but um, so that was the first thing. And then I also started um, focusing on hosting um, very, very safe COVID, COVID safe um, ghost hunts um, at a local theater that I've been a member of for 16 years now. And obviously live theater is not happening right now and they are struggling majorly. So um, I actually wrote a book, actually compiled a book called The Ghosts of the Ghost Light Theater, which is a fundraiser book for that theater, um, where 100% of the proceeds go towards it. Um, and then we also started hosting very small, intimate ghost hunts there. Um, since the building is empty, you know, it's a shame that it's just sitting there. So we decided to start bringing groups in, you know, very, very safe, very, very socially distant. Um, and start, you know, doing that in a way. Um, and I found instead of, you know, going wide with my paranormal investigations, you know, a wide array of different locations, I decided to go deep. And I found that one location that I knew was safe, they were taking it seriously, I was taking it seriously, I could go whenever I wanted to and really investigate and have, you know, experiments and, you know, I almost felt like Jane Goodall, you know, and the chimpanzees, like, being able to actually, like, live there, like, as, like, an anthropologist, um, you know, so I've been really, really grateful for that, you know, it's definitely searching for a silver lining oh, um, yeah. in this sort of situation, uh, but, you know, it's definitely there, the silver lining and the benefits, and, you know, I know the theater has benefited from the book and the ghost hunts, and I think the community as a whole has, you know, really gotten to know the ghost light which is a building that is so near and dear to my heart mm -hmm. um so yeah so haven't been able to travel much but still, <laughs> still staying busy <laughs> sure well and, and, and we've all sort of been in, in that same boat um you know honestly the the ghost light theater sounds like a, a pretty interesting place i i have a couple of questions uh the the first one being just from an investigatory standpoint um, did you find that you preferred working with, with small groups more than, say, like a, a large investigation? Ooh, it, 
my immediate answer is yes, but the more I actually thought about it in that split second was I find that the energy a larger group brings in can sometimes be really beneficial. Hmm. Um, so like me personally, I prefer smaller groups. You know, I, I'm sure so many people have social anxiety. I'm one of them. Same. Um, you know, I, yeah. I, yeah. I, I hate large crowds. Just the idea of it makes me want to barf. Um, but whenever we do have larger groups, you know, people are more willing to volunteer or ask questions or try new things. So the energy for the group and for the building, um, I think, is so much better with the larger groups. But even our largest group is like 20 people split up in this huge building into like mm-hmm. three or four smaller groups. So there's still smaller groups. Um, so I know it's a cheating answer because I gave, you know, positives for both small <laughs> groups and large groups. Um, but, um, you know, I, 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 there's benefits to both. But, you know, I've been to locations that there's, you know, 100 people there. And right. you're like, this is a waste of my time. But, sure. Like, I'm just looking at a cool old building, which is fine. But if you're actually looking for, you know, a chance to do some sort of investigating that usually doesn't happen, which I try to avoid that when I'm hosting these sort of events because I know whenever I'm on the other side of that spectrum, I, I I don't appreciate, you know, being kind of herded around like cattle from one spot to another with 50 other people around me. Right. So I try to keep it as small and intimate as possible while still, because um, it is like we are trying to raise money for the theater. So we're trying to get as many people as we can, but doing it wisely and safely and fairly for everyone involved. Sure. Well, you know, I, I, I think that's a, a fantastic answer, really, you know, because you you really make a good point, And it's one that I, I don't think people consider a lot because you do hear a lot about, you know, people who prefer, you know, small, uh, intimate investigations but i guess something well especially that people like us might not consider is that uh you know people who don't necessarily do this all of the time maybe they're more comfortable with with more people there and and i think you're right they might be more willing to actually go and and participate in things so that's yeah that's i I think that's an excellent point um now the Ghostlight theater like that sounds like an, an interesting place i'm guessing that most of our uh, society members probably have not heard of it. I apologize for anybody listening if you have, but um, you know maybe you could give us a little bit of background. Tell us what's what's interesting about this theater. Yeah, I'd love to hear it. Yes, yes. So this is my hands down my favorite haunted location on planet Earth, at least that I've been to so far. Uh, but the Ghostlight Theater is here in Buffalo, New York, and it was formerly a church. Um, Built in 1889, and according to legend, the cornerstone was laid on a dark and stormy Halloween night. Of course it was. (laughs) Um, And um, it was a church for over 100 years, Um, and it was in 2001 that they sold it to Starry Night Theater Incorporated um, for $1, and it became the Ghostlight Theater. And um, since then, they have been a, a theater company and I joined this theater group in 2005 which is horrible for me to admit out loud because I like 2005 was only like a few years ago in my mind but same <laughs> yeah right just a few years ago um but basically um this theater is just it, it's the the history is just seeping out of the walls it's they've done a great job I mean you walk in and it looks like a church still um you know which I think leads to its hauntings um and and, and the 
every good theater has at least one good ghost story. Um, so, and, you know, obviously the ghost light's no exception. And we've got spirits there from, you know, over a hundred years ago from when it was first a church. Um, the number one ghost that um, people have reported seeing is the lady in red. Um, she's dressed in Victorian era burgundy velvet gown. I mean, the details that people come up with are really amazing, especially when they 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 match up even though there's you know these people's accounts are separated by you know 10 15 years um so she's number one there um we also have the ghost of a little girl named mary who we think is from about the 1920s or 1930s um and then a choir master who kind of hangs out in the spiral staircase balcony area um he has a, a an affinity for blonde women um because they definitely feel much more affected by him in the spiral staircase, um, which I think is very interesting. We actually just started realizing that within the last five years or so. And unfortunately, my mother was the guinea pig on that, um, which mm -hmm. made us start thinking like, ooh, blondies. And then we've kind of unknowingly put people in there. And anyway, he likes blondes. Um, but then we also <laughs> have people um, who are from more recent years. Um, you know, we had a member named Carl. Um, he passed away in 2017. People have seen him. Um, people have seen him like on stage during a production. Um, and in my mind, I'm thinking, why didn't you pull your phone out and take a picture? I don't care if the rules of the theater say no flash photography. Um, but, and then also my younger brother, Jed, um, he was a member there from when we first joined in 2005 until he passed away in 2015. And he was a very active member. Um, and we've seen him there. We photographed him there. We've gotten EVPs of him there. I've heard his voice. Um, wow. So it's a very, very active location um, that just bridges um, the gap between centuries, which I just find so interesting. Um, and we've only really just started digging deep into the paranormal aspect of things there. Um, so I'm excited to see kind of what evolves over time, what we kind of unearth and, and learn more about. Um, but it's a great little historic theater. Um, and if anyone listening is interested, in buying a copy of The Ghost of the Ghost Light Theater. Like I said, it's a fundraising book for the theater. 100% of the proceeds go right to the theater. I don't take any of it. Um, and if you go to spookeats.com slash shop, um, it's right there. You can grab a copy. Um, and it's got over 100 firsthand accounts um, of from cast members, crew members, audience members of their paranormal encounters from the last 20 years. Wow. I mean, and obviously we will uh, provide links in the, uh, the the show notes and we encourage everybody, you know, buy Amanda's books. They are fantastic. I have a so. question about the yeah. more recent sightings. So like when, obviously you mentioned you've seen them, how did they appear to you? Were they like as like real as when they looked like when they were alive? Were they translucent? Like, I'm just really curious about that. They both um, looked flesh and blood. Um, wow. To the point where, at first, you didn't realize who and what you were seeing. Um, and interestingly enough, right before the gentleman Carl passed away, he saw my brother, Jed. Oh, wow. Um, yes. I didn't realize this until I was compiling the Ghost of the Ghost Light Theater. Um, and his best friend was giving me his ghost stories that he had shared with her over the years. And... Yes, about maybe a month before he, and he died very unexpectedly, um, about a month before he passed away, he said, like, he went up to her at the end of the night after a rehearsal, and he said, you know, I saw Jed hanging out over by the ghost light, and she was like, what are you talking about? Um, so, it, it's very interesting, and honestly, 
I think every spirit that has been seen, physically seen, um, at the ghost light looks flesh and blood. They never Hmm. look translucent. They always look like a person, so much so that people mistake them. My mother, um, she saw the lady in red. She's got one of the most, quote-unquote, famous sightings, um, and it was her first time in the building. She was going downstairs to go to the bathroom, and she saw a woman coming up the stairs in this beautiful dress, and she actually pulled my brother kind of out of the way to let her pass because she just assumed, oh, she's got to go out on stage. And when she turned around, the woman was gone. Um, so she, I mean, they, you know, she, and she says like, she was physic, like she was there standing right in front of me. I could hear the dress kind of running along the stairs as she climbed the stairs. Um, and people who have seen Mary have mistaken her for the owner's daughter. Um, and like they would see the little girl, Mary in the basement or up in the costume room. And then they would, you know, not, they're like, Oh, it's just Rosie. And they would come back downstairs or go back up into the theater and they would see Rosie sitting there doing her homework or talking to someone. Um, so I feel like at least from my knowledge, every time someone has spotted a spirit, they have looked like a physical person and not translucent or ghost like in any way. Sure. And, and, and that's so interesting. And, and I'll tell you, honestly, in, in my experience, that seems to be the case more often than, than not when somebody's reporting an, an apparition. Um, I, I, I want to say that like that translucency is probably more of a, a Hollywood effect. Than, yeah, than, than I, I think so. I've see. never I don't know anyone that's been like, oh, yeah, I could see through them. Or if so, then you would see like through part of them. But the part that you're focusing on nine times out of ten, I feel like is is opaque yeah you can't see through it right yeah no definitely so um yeah that that all sounds fascinating honestly and i guess i'm i'm kind of curious now when you're talking about these these spirits um in your investigation did you get a sense sort of whether or not uh you're dealing with an intelligent haunting does it seem residual in in some way um, I think there is a mixture of the two. The um, choir master that I mentioned in the spiral staircase is 100%, I feel, a residual haunting. It's the sort of thing where you go into the spiral staircase, and if you sit in the middle of it where you can't see the top or bottom, like clockwork, you can hear someone walking down the stairs towards you and kind mm. of like a muffled muttering almost every single time someone does that you hear that. So it's almost like when you do that, you activate the energy in there and it just kind of plays on repeat over and over again. Um, So that's Mm -hmm. very residual. Um, But the interactions that we've gotten via EVP and um, especially people actually like witnessing things with their own two eyes, I feel like comes off as more intelligent. Um, You know, one example, I have two really good examples really quick. Um, The first is, you know, when I was doing a quick EVP session um, at my first little ghost hunt there um, after my brother had passed away, you know, I asked, you know, dude, are you okay? I just need to know that you're okay. And I, that's like my number one rule is I don't usually reach out to, I don't reach out to him. That's my rule, you know, because it's a slippery slope and you Mm. don't necessarily know who or what you're talking to. But at that moment, it was just put on my heart and I got an EVP that's, it was his voice that said, I'm fine, in direct response to my question. Um, another was we were working with um, something that we call the Decopod. It's basically a REM pod, um, but in my opinion, it works a little bit better. Um, <laughs> and um, 
you know, we, we believe that we were working with the spirit of Mary, the little girl, you know, like she was, you know, lighting it up whenever we asked. Um, but in the beginning, we said, you know, you light it up. It's really pretty colors. And we got an EVP of a little girl's voice saying, I'm afraid to. Um, so it's those things, definitely the EVPs. If nothing else, the kids that are are haunting the ghost light are definitely much more intelligent than residual. Hmm. That is interesting. That is really interesting. It's interesting to have like both different kinds of hauntings present at a place, I think. Oh, like, sure. What makes it different? Like, why is the choir master residual? Why are others? I mean, the, the way it works is just interesting. I mean, I guess we'll never know, but... Yeah, I, I, I wish I had an answer to that. I think that, <laughs> yeah. you know... I, it's a great question. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Um, wow, no, it really does sound like a, a, a fascinating uh, theater. Now, I want to go. <laughs> yeah, well, definitely, if we ever find ourselves out that way, I think I think we have for to, sure. really. Yes, uh, I'll, I'll, treat you, I'll treat you to a night. I'll get you some chicken wings, we'll go see Niagara Falls, and then we'll go to the Haunted Ghost Theater. <laughs> Sweet. Perfect, sounds great. <laughs> um... So, let's see, I've got in front of me here a copy of uh, America's Haunted Breweries, Distilleries, and Wineries. And I, I think this uh, this sort of speaks to, to Emily and I, personally. Yes. Uh, you know, <laughs> just sort of we in its We currently live in a themes. city where most of the haunted places are bars. So. That's true. I, I feel like that's a lot of places. Yeah. <laughs> that actually kind of leads me to my, my first question about that book. Do you think that breweries, distilleries, and wineries, you know, uh, bars, for for lack of a, a better umbrella term, do you think that those places specifically are more likely to be haunted than other places? Yes. And I will tell you why. So I was just having a big debate with someone about this, and they were arguing against it, and I, I was ready to fight them. But basically, two reasons why. My number one argument for it is that so many of these locations are they if they are a bar they were probably always a bar always a saloon always a tavern um a speakeasy what what have you and let's be honest almost every time you see something like that there was a brothel on site or a bordello or something um you know where there was gambling there was prostitution there was that you know more i don't know scruffy part of society um and with that came you know certain energies be them positive or negative you know you have those untimely deaths you have those murders you have those suicides um but then you also have those more positive things too people having fun the frivolity behind it i can't say that word but frivolity <laughs> that was close <laughs> I can't say it. Um, But man, good times. Um, You know, and my argument is always that, you know, sure, these locations like hospitals and asylums and orphanages, of course they're haunted. You know, they have that really dark, and not dark as in demonic, but just dark, heavy, sad energy because of the location and its history. But on the flip side, you have things like bars that the energy was usually very fun. You know, you went there to have a good time. Um, So why can't that more positive energy be just as potent and just as powerful as that negative energy? And they can both lead to hauntings. Um, And one is neither, neither is better than the other. 
Um, you know, I find personally, I prefer going to haunted bars and haunted restaurants because they're just more enjoyable to visit. You know, they have plumbing, they have heat, they have electricity, and they have drinks, you know, <laughs> as opposed to going to an asylum or an old jail cell. Um, but for me, you know, these were very, very much a liminal space where people were constantly coming and going. And when they were there, they could be whoever they wanted to be. You know, you didn't have to be honest or, you know, it could be that, you know, the gentleman went to the bar and was leaving his wife and kids at home and hooked up with, you know, Mary upstairs in the bordello. Um, you know, so it's all these things go together, um, be it positive and negative, to create just this beautiful buffet of, you know, paranormal energy. Um, so 100% bars are haunted, you know, I'm working on a book right now about the 50 oldest bars in each state, and more than half of them are haunted and openly haunted about it. Um, and I really do believe that, you know, because of the more se the seedier side of history with, you know, gambling and prostitution, uh, mixed in with that really, you know, high energy of you know, the saloons and the dance halls and just wanting to have a good time, that leaves an imprint just as strong as pain and suffering in these infamous locations. I got really passionate there for a second. No, that's good. Yeah, I mean, I I, I agree. I, I think that's an excellent point. I, I never understood why all hauntings had to be scary or sad. Oh, yeah. You know? A lot of them are really like... TV. <laughs> right, exactly. And if you think about it, too, like the... Um, taverns and bars are such a, like a watering hole for people. Some people obviously go there if they're like, you know, the cliche drink your sorrows away, but people go there and some for some people they, they have their place with their friends. It's almost like a second home so if they're like intelligent hauntings, I could see why they would want to hang out at those places. Absolutely. Oh, sure. I mean, it's, and you know, like Amanda said, I mean, there there are, it's just all about human connection. Right. And, and sort of that investment of, of human emotion and, mm -hmm. and energy into these locations. I think that, that you see the same thing in, in theaters, for instance. You oh, know? yeah. I mean, yeah. speaking of, of the Ghost Light Theater, you know, mm -hmm. we've certainly seen that, that same thing around here. Um, but I think, you know, Emily uh, mentioned intelligent hauntings. And so I'm kind of curious, in your research for this book... When it came to the these various uh, drinking establishments, did did you see any patterns? Like, did it seem more uh, uh, residual, more intelligent? Uh, and, 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 and were there any other sort of like weird uh, connections that, that that you made while researching it? So, for the most part, a lot of the claims seem to be very residual, where it's, you know, people hear things or things move, but nothing really screams an intelligent haunt. Um, but the one thing that I did notice that I thought was really interesting, which might might be the creation of a different book that I'll be working on, um, is most of these locations, and I kind of briefly touched on it during my passionate TED Talk, um, <laughs> was that... Um, a lot of these locations are haunted by prostitutes. Um, and I just find that so interesting that, um, yeah, so many of these places, I can think of like five or six just off the top of my head that have these women that are haunting these locations. And it's interesting to me because I feel like 
especially in America, we have such a negative connotation when it comes to prostitution. You know, it's this really taboo subject. And But if you look at it, historically speaking, you know, especially on the frontier, for a lot of women, it was a very lucrative business for them and a way to you know, have a place to live and make money and actually live and survive and thrive. Um, you know, and of course, you know, there is that dark, you know, like I said, seedier side that, you know, there was abuse and murder and suicide. But a lot of times, you know, especially working in a brothel, um, these women were well taken care of. They made good money. They were safe. It was much better than working on the streets. Um, and I've found that in a lot of these locations, um, these these women are haunting these old bars um, that used to have the brothels and the bordellos um, on site. And it's interesting because a lot of the the current owners, you know, here in you know 2020, 2021, they are very protective of these women, um, and they share their stories, they say their names. So. These women who could have very easily been just a nameless blip in history have found eternal life and fame, in a way, in these ghost stories and in their hauntings. Um, you know, and I, I just find that so interesting. And I really want to dive deeper into that. Um, but I just started noticing it working on this book that, you know, a lot of these places used to be brothels and they have these women that used to work as prostitutes, you know, what is the connection there? You know, what's going on? So stay tuned. I'm really curious to see kind of where it leads me. Yeah. Wow. No, that, that is so interesting yeah. actually. You know, I mean, I, it's not something I guess that, that we often think about. I mean, mm-hmm. because there, there's just, boy, there are so many layers to that too, <laughs> as a, a, a social issue and a, a, you know, historically, um, you know, and, and what's interesting to me too, just off the top of my head, without you know delving into the much, much deeper like social and, and, and historical issues, is that's essentially haunting like your your place of business, like your 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 workplace. You Which know? is terrible if you think about it. <laughs> For most people, yeah. <laughs> you know, but like they they had such a connection with with this this space, you know, that they they hung around you know and and there they still are so it's probably basically home for them in a lot in a lot of ways yeah Yeah, i would think so wow you know no that is i can't wait for that because i i I think that's going to be fascinating and i also can't think of probably a better uh segue into (laughs) our next book yeah right the uh the the feminine macabre wow and you know i have to say what a lovely cover oh why why are we doing that fabulous Fabulous. Well, thank you. I can can see you blushing from here. I get embarrassed so easily, but... I love it. Thanks. Um, Well, what what can you tell us about uh, this project? Yeah, so basically this was kind of mulling around in my mind for almost a year. I um, wanted to start something like this. Um, 
about a year ago when I was um, doing a different show over on Paranormal Buzz Radio. We were talking about women in the paranormal, but historically speaking. And I was, you know, talking about Catherine Crow and Eleanor Sidgwick and, you know, different women that I'm familiar with because I like researching that sort of subject. I guess I'm a nerd or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, but a lot of the people that I was talking with, they had no idea who I was talking about. So it got me thinking. And then I started thinking even more, you know, in modern day you know, if you ask someone, you know, well, do you have a favorite paranormal investigator that's a woman? You know, if they can even name any of them, they're the ones that are on TV, and there are only a few of them. Um, so I decided to start the Feminine Macabre. Basically, it's our all-new, all-female paranormal journal. Um, and basically, it's a chance to highlight the amazing work that women are doing in this field. Um, you know, and it's... It, it's a very broad topic, you know, it's not just ghosts or hauntings, it's, you know, cryptids and witchcraft and tarot and folklore and death customs and dark history. Um, basically, I joke saying, if it's something that your parents tell you to not talk about at Thanksgiving, it's probably <laughs> perfect. <laughs> um, and... You know, when I first, you know, put the call for submissions out for volume one, I was afraid I would have to pretend to be 30 different women and just write 30 different articles myself. Um, <laughs> that's not the case. I swear it's not the case. Um, but yeah, um, and basically the number one reason why I wanted to do this was because not enough people know about the work that women are doing in this field. And, you know, it's so fascinating. Um, and I'm not trying to make it a male versus female thing. Some people have called me out for that and we are, oh, you're a man hater. It's like, no, I'm not. I have a husband. I have a son. I'm not, I don't hate men. Um, but basically, you know, if you think about it, you know, men are already so highlighted in the paranormal. Um, they've got TV shows for crying out loud, all male TV shows. There's no all female TV shows. Um, so it was, it's just my hope to kind of make it an even playing field, that men are already so highlighted and the work is so, it goes unquestioned. Um, whereas a woman, you know, if she tries to speak up or ask questions, it, it's always, she always has to talk a little louder or repeat herself or really say it with confidence and conviction. And so I wanted to create a community and, and an area where women could comfortably share their research share their ideas and theories, personal experiences. And so far it's been fantastic, at least I think so. It's like a parent saying their kid is cute, but I think <laughs> it's turned out great. You know, the first volume came out um, almost a month ago now. And, you know, I mean, we've sold hundreds of copies of it. You know, the word is spreading and it's gotten great reviews from men and women alike. Um, so I'm, I'm so excited about it. And submissions just opened for volume two today. And I'm already overwhelmed because submissions were coming in and I did not give myself a long enough break. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fine. It's all good. So, but yeah, and I, you know, I was so excited to have you, Emily, part of it because, you know, I have friends who are, you know, men and they're graphic designers. And I was like, well, you know, I could ask them. And I thought, no, I want every single aspect <laughs> of this book to be touched by a woman. You know, I edited it 
you designed the cover. Patty Negri wrote the foreword. Even the quote at the beginning of the book is from Emily Dickinson. Like, come on. Um, <laughs> you know, it's all all female, all women. Um, so I I love it. I love the work that you did. I'm going to make you blush. I loved the cover <laughs> that you made. I, absolutely, I mean, everyone oh, else thanks. did too. Everyone was gaga for it. So, yeah, feminine macabre. <laughs> now, I'm just curious. Like, obviously it sounds like it was more, you got more positive feedback than not. Um, I know when we shared it, we lost a few followers, and I think that happened to a couple of the other authors or groups that were involved with the authors, Um, and I think it kind of showed why it needed to exist in the first place, and it was something that I, even being a woman in the paranormal, and granted, I'm pretty, like, shy in the community, so, like, you know, I haven't put myself out there too much. Somebody over here pushes me to do more, so. <laughs> I just want you to get your credit, sweetie. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and I think I didn't really realize the entire, like, um, impact that, you know, it, how much it spoke for us. I didn't really realize, even as a woman, that how much it was needed. So um, I don't know if you learned anything like that in doing this project. Like, did you discover anything new about kind of the community or voices or stereotypes or anything like that the biggest thing I walked away from it almost everything was positive you know you had those few people that you know said you know this is sexist or you know why does it have to be men versus women um but overall you know the the amount of love and support that's come out of it has honestly it's I'm pleasantly surprised because I was like hardening my skin and preparing myself for the backlash and it never really came that's awesome and I'm so relieved yes like I was ready to defend it tooth and nail like this is needed you know and again it's not anti-male I'm not trying to erase men from the narrative I'm just trying to introduce women to the narrative Mm -hmm. um because women have been in the paranormal from the beginning we've just been you know, witches and priestesses, and oh, yeah. you know, now now we're we're also taking on the role of paranormal investigator. Um, you know, and you know the the women that were involved in volume one. You know, I've lost count of the number of messages I've gotten from them where they've said like it's it was such a wonderful experience, such a positive experience. They have they feel like they have now found a place in the paranormal community. And I mean, if I let myself think about it, I could like start crying <laughs> because like I as a solo investigator have never really felt like I've had a place in the paranormal community because I don't have a team, I don't have a group. Um, you know, I have a very small little corner of the internet, you know, a small little corner of the paranormal field. And, you know, to have women come to me and say that I created a, a you know, a, a beautiful little community where they were able to meet new people and find new books and new research and new ways of thinking. And it, it just, it meant the world to me. And I joked saying, you know, even if nothing ever happens with the feminine macabre, even if it was just one volume, which is not happening, but you know, even if that was the case and that was it, what a what a wonderful ride that was because it brought so many women together and so many people together and introduced so many people to a whole new world, not to sound cheesy, um, in the paranormal field. So it's been wonderful and really, really positive, and I'm so grateful that I did not have to fight anyone over the internet <laughs> for the honor of the feminine macabre. 
Well, that's great. And I just, I have a quick question about like, because you mentioned that historically women were seen as like priestesses and like, you know, more like witches, those kind of roles. And they're trying to break into different roles. Um, Obviously, um, witchcraft and the occult have become somewhat trendy in recent years. Do you think that um, that helps or hurts the stereotypes? And um, do you have any thoughts on that? Oh, gosh. Um, Oh, gosh. I'm, like, almost dumbfounded. I'm trying to, like, come up with a witty answer, but I really feel like (laughs) it's, you know... you're going to have pros and cons with everything. You know, I feel mm-hmm. like with the paranormal, it's becoming so much more mainstream now with all the TV shows, which, you know, could be a good thing, could be a bad thing. Sure. I personally love the influx of, you know, people coming out as witches or cultists or researching these things just because I feel like, you know, the paranormal has been seen at least in the last, you know, I guess 10, 15 years as a very masculine thing. Um, you know, again, we only really had TV to gauge, you know, our understanding of it for the longest time. And it was, you know, the, the, you know, the guys with the tight black t-shirts and stomping through the abandoned buildings. And I feel like people who, you know, tarot readers and the witches and that it's almost kind of reclaiming the softer side of the paranormal um and i find it equally fascinating you know i'm just kind of starting out on like my tarot journey and you know and i don't want to say like oh well you know the scientific end is more masculine and the spiritual end is more feminine because that's not the case at all Mm -hmm. um but i i really i i think i appreciate the um yeah, the return almost to the more spiritual end of things because some people might not feel a connection in the paranormal to the science end of things or the gadgets or that, but they can be a part of it when it comes to studying the occults or learning about witchcraft. Um, so honestly, I feel like it, it's done more good than than bad in the field um, and in the community. Um, that's just my personal opinion, though. Sure. I haven't really experienced any negative aspects of it um yeah i i i'm kind of a fan of it um granted i was raised with like oh witches are evil occult is a bad word sure Um, yeah (laughs) you know and uh, you know obviously that's not how i feel in any way shape or form i have very much left (laughs) those thoughts behind me long ago um but i'm hoping that in the next few years you know where the paranormal i feel is so mainstream now and so like if you tell a random person like oh yeah you know i'm a ghost hunter they they're probably like oh that's cool um and i feel like now if you say like oh i'm a witch people will kind of still lose their mind and be like burn the witch um you know so i'm hoping in the next 10 years or so that that also happens for people who identify as witches or occultists um that they can also kind of experience more acceptance that you know, the ghost hunters are experiencing right now. Sure. No, I I, I, I wish the same thing. You know, it's, it's interesting to me, too. Now, you had mentioned a couple of times um, talking about television specifically. And, and I have to say, for me personally, I think that's where the disconnect has come for me. Because I always grew up reading books. And, uh, and even into adulthood, my interactions with this community were either at conferences or through books. And so I think I wasn't really personally aware of the the lack of um, 
you know, feminine representation on on television, even though, you know, that turns out to probably be, well, not probably, definitely is, Mm -hmm. the most mainstream uh, sort of representative medium, you know, for the the, the paranormal right now. Um, And so, you know, I I think that... um, just I guess sort of as a as a, a man looking at, at at this this and and trying to to support you know people that I, I care about um, and, and 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 that I think are you know very deserving of attention I, I think that there are some issues here that you know I some guys might might struggle with mostly out of ignorance you know mm-hmm. like frankly like I, I was I was ignorant of that that particular area of representation and I, I think the other area for me that I sort of had a, a gut reaction to and I still do sometimes is that this is such a difficult field it is such a hard field to make yeah. it in right yeah and yeah. so I think some people here okay you know like all right well we're gonna have this all you know female collection and 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 we and we need more representation and and all they like all they really hear is oh man this is a zero sum game what is this going to mean for me and i got to tell you that is it's just it just for the benefit of anybody listening that is such the wrong way to think <laughs> about this because if there is one thing we have learned since we started the Singular 40 in Society, it is that collaboration and community over competition wins every time. There's and room you, for everybody. Yes, absolutely. You'll yes. be so much more successful that way. I guess my there there is a question in here somewhere. I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll get around to it. I, I I guess my 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 question is now: Would you have any advice um, for? Uh, you know, for men, you know, like me, who who want to help and want to be aware of these issues, but might not necessarily, you know, have the perspective. You know, like there there is there 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 are gaps in our in our knowledge in our sight in 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 our perspective where we might miss things. What advice would you have for us? Number one, I would say is listen to the women that you have surrounding you. Um, and if you don't have women surrounding you, you might want to find a few um, just to, you know, offer a different perspective. You know, what I have found from working with the women in the feminine macabre is that most of them have said that, you know, even if they have 20 or 30 years of experience in the paranormal working diligently in their specific area of expertise, and I don't use the word expertise lightly, but some of these women have really, really you know, focused all of their time and energy on these specific topics. Um, And they'll, you know, go to conventions or conferences and, you know, ask a question and be looked at like, "Mm, okay, sweetie, what do you really know? And then their knowledge of the subject and the technology and the theories kind of, you know, silences those assumptions. But, you know, I would say, Listen to the women around you. Don't make them have to speak up. Um, Don't make them have to feel like they have to talk louder or second guess themselves or make them feel uncomfortable for speaking out. Um, I think that's really, really important is just listen to the women, um, you know, and just start a conversation, have that conversation, um, you know, and again, you know, I feel that 
men and women investigate very differently. Um, again, one way is, is not better than the other, but they're different. And so you could really benefit from, you know, talking with each other, um, but really listening to the women in your lives and supporting them. And, and if that's the sort of thing where, you know, they are writing books, you know, support them, whether that's, you know, buying a book or sharing, you know, posts about it, really supporting it. You know, I, I found that, you know, most of the podcasts and radio shows that I did promoting volume one of the feminine macabre were hosted and run by men. And they were just as excited about it as I was. And I could not tell you how much I appreciate that. And and again, I wasn't surprised by it because I think, again, a parent thinks their baby's cute. It's a cool project. Um, <laughs> and I think it is something that is needed. So the fact that there were so many men in the community that agreed and didn't take any offense and it didn't you know, insult their masculinity in any way was so nice because I felt like, ooh, like I feel like these people are cool, but do you really know someone? Turns out, yes. Yes, you do. Um, so really just listen to the women in your lives, support them, um, and give them the same opportunities as you would give a man, um, you know, and don't question them if they are knowledgeable on a topic. Um, I guess that's, I could, I guess I could keep going, but I guess those are the main things. So, and you know, everyone is just trying to, at least I like to think, almost everyone is just trying to do the best that they can. And, you know, so many times we're so blissfully ignorant, we don't know. Uh, you know, for volume two, I'm, you know, creating a special section for people who identify as non-binary. And I, you know, had included that in volume one, like, we want you to be a part of it. And a, a few members of the community reached out and they said that they weren't really comfortable being included in something labeled women. Um, so I've been working with them to create, you know, an additional little section that is their area to be able to share their findings and report what, you know, they're seeing and researching. Um, so of that, I was ignorant. Um, and I'm trying to tweak it and learn and, and change and evolve. So, you know, I think as long as people are constantly having that conversation and listening to one another and trying to learn and grow, you're, you can't be wrong. Wow. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I that's great. Thank you. You know, yeah. it's, I, I think that's really helpful <laughs> in, advice for, for anybody. Well, and you know, it, it, it seems once you hear it, I think it, it, it sort of seems so self-evident where it's like, okay, well, yeah, treat, treat women like people, you know, like you would anybody <laughs> else that, that you respect, you know? Um, and the, that, that doesn't mean like, you don't just have to necessarily agree with something that somebody says, you know, but like you have to respect their opinion like you would anybody else's. Yep. You know, so and I, I think that's a, a partial disconnect, too, that, that we might run into um, with, you know, well, probably specifically men who would be like, well, oh, great. So now this just means I have to agree with everything that women say all the time. Well, <laughs> I don't think that's the case at all. You can have a no. healthy debate with someone without ridiculing them or making them feel less mm -hmm. than, you know, and so. That, and you brought up the point about, like, go, doing investigations with each other. Like, I think it's very complimentary, and you can find yes. out more. So it's like, yeah, like, I mean, 
certain teams might just be a bunch of buddies or you know a bunch of gal pals and it might just happen to be but I think if they are a team of one gender it's important for them to collaborate with another group so they can learn more from each other and have a different approach and to their investigative styles absolutely yeah no definitely i mean i i think you know representation matters i think the different perspectives are invaluable and uh, yeah i think projects like this that uh, that bring a little bit more of that to the table are fantastic so uh yeah kudos um yeah, thank you. Yeah, now are all of these books that we just talked about are these all available through your your website? Yes. Um, so I have to add the feminine macabre into the official shop, um, but they're all at Spook Eats, either spookeats.com/shop or spookeats.com/feminine macabre. Excellent. And you know, things are starting to open up a little again. Uh, boy easy for me to say I guess things are starting to open up a little bit again uh, in 2021 here so um, do you have any appearances coming up anything exciting in in, in that area oh gosh um, nothing too much this year just because baby spook eats is still oh, right. pretty little yeah and he's he's not fun at conferences I already know <laughs> I haven't brought him any yet but I just know he wouldn't be fun Fair um, enough. so I am going to be appearing at um the oddities and curiosities expo in buffalo um and then i have a couple of library talks Mm. um coming up in especially the fall obviously halloween time everyone wants to do it Mm -hmm. um but i'm hoping next year to be able to make it out um to the um haunted america conference yes yes hoping i'm hoping come hang out with us we're there every year we get to hang out with troy (laughs) Literally everyone I know in the community, they're like, Amanda, you're coming this year, right? I'm like, no, I have a baby, you guys. (laughs) So hopefully next year. Awesome. (laughs) Well, we look forward to the day we finally meet up there. Yes. It's the best conference I've ever been to. Yeah, it's hands down my favorite. So, uh, well, what about now? I know that you have an amazing, super fun to follow Instagram account. why don't you tell people where they can find you there and Twitter and Facebook? All the social medias. Yeah. All the social medias. Um, so I am on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at Spookeats. Nice and easy. They're all the same. Um, then I am trying TikTok. I oh, feel man. Like, um, <laughs> I just watch. I, I mean, it is the geriatric unit over here. We're oh, on yeah, yeah. Same. Um, but that's also at Spook Eats. Um, I don't know if I necessarily want to encourage people to go there. Um, but I'm trying it out. But, yes, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And then my website is SpookEats.com. Um, and if anyone is interested in submitting for the second volume of The Feminine Macabre, um, if you go to spookyeats.com slash feminine macabre, the submission guidelines are right there. And yeah, anyone, I mean, please, I, I encourage everyone who's listening um, that is interested or even considering it, definitely consider submitting something. Um, it's a fun little community and we're always looking for volume two, volume three, volume four, hopefully, um, and so on and so forth. So Perfect. come hang out. <laughs> and, and how long um, do submissions go for? 
Like how, so for how volume, yeah. So volume two right now, uh, they'll be available or open, I should say, from April first until June first, and then we're releasing volume two in August. Okay, very cool. Awesome, well, Amanda. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. We'll have to have you on uh, again because I'm sure you'll be up to more. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah you, you seem to stay busy. Yeah, we're trying. So, but thank you so much, you guys. I loved chatting with you again. And to everybody else listening, stay weird. That's right. Keep it weird, everybody. We would like to give a special thanks to Andrew Frisk and Dylan Burnett for their help in producing these episodes. Thanks, guys. And to our friends of the radio audience, we've been a pleasant. Good night.